Greetings to all our listeners from the Ganawage Mohawk Territory on the south shore of Montreal and from the Quebec Native Women's Organization. My name is Sherry Osnaawi Jacobs and I am your host. I am the Digital Information Coordinator on Family Violence in an Indigenous Context at the Quebec Native Women's Organization situated in Ganawage, Quebec. I use the term family violence as domestic violence, intimate partner violence, or conjugal violence affects the whole family and not just the victim and the aggressor. My project is tentatively entitled A Hidden Crisis, as Indigenous history and issues are generally not taught in the mainstream educational curricula and institutions. The goal is to help spread awareness about the concept of family violence in an Indigenous context that includes the roles of colonization, assimilation, and cultural genocide toward the Indigenous peoples in Canada, as well as to highlight organizations and resources that help victims, family members, and concerned community members. The website sosviolenceconjugal.ca, all one word, is an excellent resource for learning about and coping with family violence. And the website is available in 28 languages, including Algonquin, Cree, Inuktitut, Inu, Amun, and Mohawk. They have a hotline, which is in operation 24 hours a day, seven days a week, as well as a chat feature and have been in service for 35 years. They are the gateway to any service needed, such as Indigenous Women Shelters. Their number is 1-800-363-9010. On our Quebec Native Women's website, you will find the Nonviolence folder under the Files tab, where there is a drop-down menu and the Nonviolence folder is the second option. There we have a toolbox with several materials that are designed to equip workers who work with Indigenous women, girls, two-spirited people and families in abusive situations. You will find resource directories, awareness tools, campaigns and educational materials for social workers and women shelters alike. To receive free printed material, or to contribute to the toolkit, contact us by email at material at fact-qnw.org or you can call Julia Dubay, our coordinator for the development of material on nonviolence at 450-632-0088 extension 257. In this episode, I will be discussing the different terms and forms of violence, the social consequences, and several ways to help a victim of domestic violence. With permission from sosviolenceconjugal.ca, my source of information are articles found on their website. Before we begin, if you or someone you know is a residential school survivor, you can access Emotional and Crisis Referral Service at one 866-925-4419. There is also the Hope for Wellness line at 1-855-242-3310. Domestic violence, intimate partner violence, conjugal violence... 
what are we talking about? Intimate partner violence, also known as conjugal violence or domestic violence, refers to situations where a partner uses different kinds of violent behaviors to establish power and control over the other partner's life and choices. It can occur in any type of intimate relationship, married, common law, boyfriend, girlfriend, etc., regardless of sexual orientation or age. It can affect women or men, although women are still more often victimized by this particular form of interpersonal violence. Intimate partner violence is characterized by a series of repetitive acts, which generally occur in an upward curve. Intimate partner violence includes psychological, verbal, physical, and sexual abuse, as well as acts of economic domination. It is not the result of a loss of control, but, on the contrary, is a means chosen to dominate the other person and assert power over him or her. It can be experienced in a marital, extramarital, or intimate relationship at any age. Domination, Power, and Control In the context of intimate partner violence, these violent behaviors all have the same goal, establishing and maintaining power and control over the other person. The abuser wants to make their needs and desires the focus of the relationship and of the family. In practice, the abuser chooses to constrain their partner in order to impose their will. Examples of this include imposing opinions, forcing the partner to do or not do something, preventing them from going out, controlling their money, or insisting on having the last word in an argument. Essentially, the abuser wants to take control and to eliminate the partner's right to self-determination. Unmasking Intimate Partner Violence Intimate Partner Violence, IPV, happens when a variety of violent behaviors are used to install and maintain power and control over a partner's life. Manifestations of violence can be very subtle or very overt. Regardless of its forms, intimate partner violence is often very difficult to identify because it is camouflaged under a wide variety of masks that blend into the background of the relationship. Indeed, there are some 13 forms of intimate partner violence. Number one, power and control, imposing their will, making unilateral decisions, imposing their presence, friends or activities, imposing certain tasks or responsibilities, punishing the victim when they do not comply. Number two, emotional violence, intentionally creating emotional pain and suffering, scaring the victim, making them cry, startling them, threatening, ridiculing, blaming, or insulting the victim, making the victim feel guilty or humiliated, giving hope that things will change without any real intention of following through keeping the victim in a constant state of alert or high stress. Number three, psychological violence, creating a state of internal imbalance within the victim, constantly questioning or doubting them, making fun of them or criticizing their decisions, imposing a bad mood or a climate of tension, holding the victim responsible for the couple's problems. Dismissing the victim's opinions, manipulating their perception of reality, also known as gaslighting. Reframing violent events in a way that prevents the victim from identifying the violence for what it is. Questioning the victim's mental health. Number four, spiritual violence. 
attacking the victim's deepest values or the meaning they give to their life, imposing beliefs or preventing the victim from practicing her religion, challenging or undermining the victim's efforts to reach her dreams or ambitions. Number five, indirect physical violence. Intimidating through physical violence expressed in the victim's environment, but not reaching their physical integrity. Blocking access to the exit, throwing or breaking objects, punching walls, destroying property, driving dangerously. Number six, violence by proxy. Threatening or hurting someone else in order to influence the victim. Hurting a pet in order to punish or to coerce the victim. Manipulating the perception of loved ones or social judicial workers against the victim. Number seven, direct physical violence. Acting in an abrupt or coercive manner in a way that affects the victim's physical integrity. Spitting, biting, hitting, kicking, pinching, pushing, shoving, restraining, grabbing arms, pulling hair, choking. Cyber violence, number eight. Using technology to maintain or increase power and control. Reading her emails, messenger or text messages. Filming her without her knowledge. Monitoring the victim's whereabouts using geolocation features. Listening in on private conversations. Harassing the victim by phone, text messages or social media. Number nine, sexual violence. Imposing sexual will or using sexuality to control or degrade the victim. Making humiliating comments about the victim's physical appearance. Verbally pressuring or manipulating the victim to have sex. Accusing the victim of infidelity. Sharing intimate photos or videos without the victim's consent. Forcing the victim to accept certain sexual practices. Forcing them to watch pornography. Forcing the victim into prostitution. Initiating sexual relations while the victim is unable to give consent. An example, when she is sleeping. Physically forcing the victim to have sexual relations or contacts. Number 10, judicial violence. Diverting or using legal proceedings in order to gain power over the victim. Bringing false charges against them with police or youth protection agencies. Lying to social and legal advocates, accusing the victim of parental alienation, dragging out legal proceedings unnecessarily, disregarding court agreements, orders, or rulings. Number 11, isolation. Controlling the social environment to restrict contact with people who might offer support to the victim. Interrogating the victim whenever she goes out. Fostering conflict with loved ones, expressing jealousy towards friends or co-workers, imposing a move far away from friends and family, prohibiting or restricting the victim's access to social media. Number 12, violence by proxy, the particular case of children, using the children as a means to hurt the victim, threatening the victim to harm the children, abusing the children to punish the victim, encouraging the children to ignore the victim's authority and disrespect her, using access rights or custody proceedings as a way to keep control after the separation. And number 13, financial violence.
restricting access to financial resources in order to limit the victim's power to act, controlling spending and financial management, stealing money, stealing the victim's identity, limiting access to financial information, controlling professional choices, using money as leverage to keep the victim in the relationship. And so there we have the 13 forms of intimate partner violence. Next, we have the nine consequences of intimate partner violence. Intimate partner violence is a huge ordeal that has numerous repercussions on a victim's physical, social, and psychological well-being and that of their children, their loved ones, and society. Public awareness of these consequences is necessary because it gives us a better understanding of victims' reactions and makes it possible to provide them with appropriate assistance. The reactions of victims of IPV are normal. The violence is what isn't normal. Emotional pain. Violence has numerous consequences on victims' emotional health, including distress, loss of self-confidence and self-esteem, anxiety, panic attacks, sadness, shame, guilt, internal tension, stress, anger, despair. Confusion. Intimate partner violence, IPV, occurs in a cycle, which means that the situation is never the same. The victim goes through periods of tension when they don't really know what's going on, followed by an incident of violence and then by a period of remission when the partner apologizes, while manipulating the victim so that they will see themselves as partially or completely to blame for what happened. Because of this cycle, the victim may go from moments where they are able to see what is going on to moments where they are overwhelmed with doubt, often to the point that they no longer recognize the violence for what it is. Post-traumatic stress. Many victims of IPV and their children exhibit the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, just like war veterans. These symptoms include intrusive thoughts and memories, nightmares and flashbacks that can cause the victim intense physical and emotional distress. They may attempt to protect themselves through emotional withdrawal, drugs or alcohol, refusing or being unable to talk about the situation, forgetfulness, suicidal ideation, self-injury, etc. Always being on alert also has other effects including jumpiness, difficulty concentrating, depression, irritability, and so forth. Deteriorating physical health. Being extremely stressed over prolonged periods affects the victim's physical well-being and may result in sleep and eating disorders, loss of energy, weakened immune system, etc. Victims may also suffer various stress-related illnesses such as chronic pain, skin or digestive problems, frequent headaches, and so forth. Physical injuries. Physical violence can cause injuries such as bruises, fractured bones, broken teeth, perforated eardrums, concussions, etc. Victims can be seriously injured and even killed because of IPV. Some injuries such as traumatic brain injuries that can result from repeated concussions can also have lasting impacts on a victim's quality of life and may even shorten their lifespan. Damage to relationships with friends and family. 
IPV negatively affects the victim support network. It can cause interpersonal conflict and the victim may lose the trust and esteem of loved ones and may even lose contact with them. Isolation caused by IPV can be very intense. The situation also has repercussions on friends and family themselves. Exhaustion, stress, feelings of powerlessness, etc. Damage to relationships with children. In a family where there is no violence, parents share power and exert parental authority together. In the context of IPV, the abuser controls the family and the victim has lost nearly all of her own power. This power imbalance has important impacts on children and teens who often respond by refusing to acknowledge the victim's authority. Such unequal power relations can also make some children feel a duty to protect the victim, which may become very dangerous for them. Financial losses and poverty. IPV exacts a heavy financial price on victims. Lawyers' fees, often for interminable and repeated legal proceedings, moving and reorganization costs, medical treatment, psychotherapy, frequently long-term for the victim and for her children, sick leave, inability to work for prolonged periods or permanently, etc. Most victims of IPV are impoverished regardless of their initial social status or education. Some victims of IPV may find themselves completely excluded from the job market and can become homeless. Social costs. IPV puts a heavy strain on the social solidarity, health care and social services systems and generates hefty public safety costs, as well as high legal costs through criminal, civil and youth protection court proceeding. It also impacts employment insurance, income security benefits, etc. Employers are also affected by the impacts of IPV on victims, absenteeism, reduced productivity, loss of skilled employees, increased costs related to group insurance plans, etc. Recovery from the consequences of IPV takes time. When violence persists after separation, it is even more difficult to deal with its repercussions. Victims of IPV need ongoing support and concrete assistance to help them regain power and control over their lives. Support should remain available for as long as it takes for them to feel safe and at peace. Being there for a victim is important. Staying there as long as the consequences of violence are present in their lives is even more important. Next, we have eight ways to help a victim of intimate partner violence. Witnessing a violent situation is always difficult for both family members and those who work to help victims. Friends, co-workers, and family members often feel helpless when they are faced with so much pain and suffering and can be fearful for the victim's safety. Counselors, advocates, Police officers and other professionals may feel powerless to help because the situation is beyond the victim's control. First, remain present in the victim's life. Preventing a victim from becoming isolated in their relationship improves their safety and that of their children. Second, be alert not to be used by the abuser against the victim.
Abusers often try to lie to and manipulate loved ones against the victim in order to bias their opinion of the victim or the situation and to create conflict and isolation. Third, be aware of the potential for danger. It is crucial to respect the victim's decisions concerning their relationship and their partner because the risk of the violence escalating and becoming more dangerous is very real. Fourth, help the victim come to their own conclusions about the situation. A victim of IPV is forced by the abusive partner to perceive the situation in a certain way, which may result in them not recognizing the abuser's behavior as violent. In order to help, we must refrain from trying to impose our own perception of the situation, but rather try to help the victim come to their own conclusions without any form of pressure. Fifth, help the victim to regain power over their life. Victims of IPV are gradually deprived of the right to exercise their free will and make their own choices. It is thus very important to respect the decisions they make for themselves and for their children, even when we might not understand or that we would have made a different choice for ourselves. Sixth, act in a way that counteracts the impact of violence on the victim. Demonstrating your respect and mirroring back a positive self-image to the victim will help them to resist psychological violence and increase their resilience. Seventh, offer your support and information about resources. Offering help, information, and resources helps the victim regain control over their life as long as the choices they make afterward are respected. A victim may choose not to access a resource or not to accept an offer of support, but knowing that they exist and that they are available is beneficial in itself. And finally, avoid feeling helpless. Ask the victim if they want you to do something for them. If they say yes, help them find a way to answer that need. If they say no, take comfort in knowing that what you are already doing is meeting their current needs. And that concludes this episode. We looked at the different terms and forms of violence, the social consequences, and the several ways to help a victim of domestic violence. If you are a victim and or a survivor of domestic, conjugal, or intimate partner violence and wish to share your story and experience, please call me at 450-632-0088, extension 224, or you can write me at cjacobs at fac-qnw.org. Fac is f-a-q-qnw.org. Your story may be someone else's survival guide. Thank you. Thank you.